part of the tradition of the church uh, celebrating Advent is to not only look at the scriptures that describe and surround the birth of Jesus in the New Testament, but also to take a look at uh, the Old Testament, which speak of his birth, just like you heard uh, in Isaiah chapter 40. Today, what I want to do is look at another Old Testament passage of scripture, but also from the book of Isaiah. And uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn there. And if you're reaching for a blue Bible that is probably in your row somewhere, it'll be on page 491. Isaiah, he was a prophet that uh, was in the 8th century B.C., about 750 years prior to the birth of Jesus. He was talking to people uh, who were trying to figure out who they were. Israel had once been this powerful and strong nation. They were strong politically. They were strong in their military might. But they were also leaders and strong spiritually. But now, at this point, they were in turmoil. Uh, The nation was divided. They were rebelling against God. They were spiritually seeking other gods, and they'd done that by serving other gods and by by creating idols and false gods. And so Isaiah had the task of telling the people about this and then calling them back into obedience to God. And in the middle of this time, Isaiah, who was the prophet, a spokesman for God, um, in his prophetic word to the people, we find these snapshots if you will, of the Messiah, of the Anointed One, of the One to come, of the Christ, the One who would come for the people. And in this, he spoke about all these characteristics of the kingdom as he talked about the king. And as we look at the connections between what Isaiah promised and what we find fulfilled in Christ during his birth, I think we'll discover what that means for us in our context today as to how we are to live our life. Uh, Look at verse 1 in Isaiah chapter 11 of what Isaiah writes. He he says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. All right, we're going to stop right there. Question, anyone here today named Jesse? Just raise your hand. Be proud of your name. No one. Oh, there she is. I was going to say, I thought Jesse was here. Jesse's here. Okay, anybody else? Okay, so unless you know Jesse... Who is it that you think of when you hear the name Jesse? Tell me. Jesse James. All right, who else? Jesse, Uncle Jesse from Full House. Yeah, younger generation was saying that earlier as I was polling them. Any, anybody else? Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard. Thank you, Matt. I kind of thought you would go there, actually. <laughs> Didn't plan that, but I, I was hopeful. Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard, right? Now, he was a moonshiner. He helped the good old boys, you know, Bo and Luke Duke, get out of prison. He ran interference, all that stuff, right? And if you were a child in the late 70s, early 80s, odds are you saw at least one or two episodes of the Dukes of Hazard, right? So, Uncle Jesse. Uh, we have Uncle Jesse, and that may be who you think of. Now, if you were an Israelite during this time period, if you were to hear the name Jesse... Do you know who you would think of? You would think of another Jesse. You would be thinking of the Jesse who's the father of David. And David was the the first, you know, main good king uh, of Israel. He served during the glory days. And so when you heard the name Jesse as an Israelite during this time up until the first century, you would immediately think of this Jesse. Jesse, the father of David and the family and all that that means. But here in the text... How does Isaiah describe Jesse? What's he called? A stump. That's pretty flattering, right? Hey, hey, you're a stump. 
so what's that all about? The, the reality is, Israel as they once knew it was no more. It was destroyed. It had been cut down. It was virtually dead. But Isaiah was telling them, he was telling the people that someday something new would happen. Out of this royal line, out of this stump of Jesse, there would be something happen. He says this, a branch will bear fruit. A day is coming when what was old will be made new. What was presumed dead will start bearing life. What was futile will become fruitful. A new king is coming out of the line of Jesse, out of the line of King David. Now, if you are familiar with the New Testament, there's some amazing imagery that just kind of jumps off the page uh, from this text. If you look at the connections between what Isaiah is saying and what we know about Jesus and his arrival as recorded for us in the New Testament, there are some amazing things that, that we, we can draw from. It says there, there's a branch that will be fruitful, right? That makes me think of John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Fruit, bearing fruit in the Old Testament. Talking about Jesus, Jesus saying, bearing fruit in the New Testament. Isaiah says that the new king will come from the royal line of David through the stump of Jesse. And if you read the genealogies in Matthew and Luke, you find David and Jesse that are both mentioned there in the genealogy. In the genealogy of Jesus, Isaiah describes the king who is to come in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 11, where it reads this. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is really important language that we need to understand because the reality is that Rarely in the Old Testament are we ever told that the Spirit of the Lord is resting on an individual. It's obvious that the Spirit of God was working throughout the Old Testament by the things that happened, but not resting on an individual. And Isaiah says when this new king comes that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And if you go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, or chapter 3, we see the recorded uh, time when Jesus was baptized. And the text says this, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The Spirit of God resting on an individual. It's what Isaiah talked about. It's what happened at Jesus' baptism. And, and, and then we take that to the next step, and that's the promise that we as believers have, that, that the Holy Spirit will be resting in us. And it started back on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching his sermon to the people at the beginning of the church. They asked Peter, so how should we respond to the fact that Jesus loves us, that he died for us, and that he was raised back to life for us? And Peter said in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, again, in the Old Testament, that would have been unheard of. In the New Testament, we hear that and we think, yeah, that makes sense. But this is unheard of in the days of Isaiah. The Spirit of God resting on an individual and then the Spirit of God being made available to everyone because of that individual or through that individual would have just been crazy talk at the time of Isaiah. But here is exactly what Isaiah is saying. He is saying a new day is coming when a new king out of the line of Jesse 
is going to do these things. The old will be made new. Death will give way to life. Branches once dead will bear fruit. And there's a new kingdom coming. The Spirit of God is coming. And so, what does that mean? What does that mean uh, to us, to all of us today? Well, after Isaiah describes this king, he starts talking about the way in which this king will rule. And I think this is where it starts to get interesting for us as we look at the characteristics of the kingdom and we think about those characteristics being on us as members of his kingdom, as believers, do we take on the characteristics of the king and the characteristics of the kingdom? And that's what I want you to wrestle with this morning as we walk through the rest of this text here today. Look with me at the middle of verse 3 where Isaiah says this, He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Simply put, we're not judged by appearances. We're not judged by our appearance. I invite you to write these things down in your bulletin and follow along and, and, uh, and as, we, as we walk through this. Now, we're not judged by appearance. And as you could probably figure out, that's really good news for all of us, isn't it? That's a really good thing. We have a king who does not judge by what he sees. Because if, if we were judged solely by our actions on what God sees us doing, we'd all be in pretty big trouble, right? Would you be in big trouble? Okay, you can acknowledge that to yourself, and hopefully you will. Because the reality is this. We're all sinners. We're all broken people. We have all messed up. And if we're judged just by what we do, it would not be pretty. But Isaiah is saying, we have a king who does not judge with what his eyes see and what his ears hear. There will be a new form of judgment. And I think that's a really good thing. Paul talks about it in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, righteousness, that's a church word, right? Doubtful you use that in your everyday vocabulary, righteousness. And it just simply means that we are made right with God. We are made in right standing. We have a right relationship with Him. We become the righteousness of God. Now, this concept, it's an amazing concept to me every time I think about it and every time I have the opportunity to share it with someone else. Jesus gave His life for us. He He took our sin on Him so that we might be made right with God. It's it's also we could be made righteous. That's why Jesus did what he did. The holy was consumed. The holy consumed the unholy, right? Michael talked about that last week, how it's consumed because the holiness envelops it and it takes it away. And so when the king looks at us, he no longer sees our sin. Instead, he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees righteousness. And that is amazing news that, that we can all rejoice in we can all accept our king doesn't judge us by our appearance or by actions instead we're judged by what jesus has done for us and as we allow god to not only be our savior not just save us from our sins and to make us righteous but we also allow god to be our lord which means we surrender the things in our life to him and we put him in first place and we not just we don't just accept our salvation but we also accept that he is in charge. He's in charge of our heart and our soul and our mind. And if we love him with all of our strength, then we begin to surrender our lives to him. And as a result, we start acting or behaving or or being more like him. And one of those things, as we become more like him and we take on this characteristic, is we don't judge by appearances. But if we're honest, 
That's a lot easier said than done, right? It's a lot easier to, to say that we're not going to do that than it is to not do that. It, it's true, isn't it, that when you meet someone for the first time, you automatically create in your mind an opinion about them, right? Even before you know them, you place them in their proper place in your mind. You assign them a certain value and importance. We judge others simply by the way they look. And whether we admit it or not, or whether we are aware of it or not, it's simply true. It's something we just do. Numerous studies and lots of our tax dollars have been spent to prove that that point is true. I ran my own uh, little survey one time as I was serving as a youth minister. Um, I wanted to prove that this was true. At a week of high school uh, church camp, Uh, The assistant dean and I recruited a 17-year-old student from a town that was about 100 miles away and invited him to spend the week of high school church camp with us. And while he was there, his instructions were to be someone he was not. He dressed awkwardly. He he talked funny. He often acted like a klutz. He would fall down on purpose either over nothing or onto someone else. His uh, job was to accidentally spill something on someone every day, students and faculty alike. It was just one of the things. Um, He said the wrong things at the wrong time. He asked off-the-wall questions. He had inappropriate questions. He sabotaged uh, his team during events. And maybe the worst thing of all, he didn't shower all week long. (laughs) The theme for the week of camp, high school church camp, mind you, was you matter. The focus was on how important we all are to the body of Christ, how valuable and needed we are and how special we are, and therefore how we should treat everyone as special. By the second to last day of camp, um, he was very much in his place. He was being shunned by students and faculty alike. People were going out of their way to avoid him. They were frustrated with him. They had no use for him. They avoided him at all costs. They worked very hard to make sure he was not on their team, was not in their small group, was not at their table during dinner. They were just in fear that whatever he touched, he was going to mess it up because that's what he did. So during the last night of camp, as planned, we sent him into the dean's quarters where he showered, put on his normal clothes, fixed his hair, put in his contacts. The evening session time came, and he strolled into the the chapel with the rest of the students, and he immediately became the buzz of everyone. Who's that, right? How do we get to know him, and where has he been all week? After the worship time, we introduced him, and he began to tell the truth about who he was. He was an excellent student academically. He was uh, on the starting football team for his high school, uh, at his high school member of the National Honor Society, involved in 4-H, youth group, Boy Scouts. And then he revealed, kind of through that, that he was that kid during the week, which got a lot of, <gasps> right? And a lot of, really? Because the transformation was, was pretty amazing. Then he began to recount the stories of the things people had said to him and the way people had treated him during that week and the way it made him feel. And it was a very difficult week for him. There were more tears and I'm sorry's during that last night than you could ever imagine. And I wish I could say, those immature high schoolers. But the reality is we all do it, don't we? We judge people by what they look like before we even get a chance to know them. Brent Storms quoted a taxi cab driver who told him one time in, in a taxi cab ride, 
said, not everyone who looks homeless is a bum, and not everyone in a business suit is an honest professional. It's true, but so often we judge people by appearances and how they appear to us. Here's the good news. We have a king who doesn't do that. He doesn't judge by what his eyes see or what his ears hear. And if we are allowing him to truly rule in our life and to be our Lord, then that needs to become more true of us as well. It's one of the characteristics of the kingdom Isaiah is describing. Another characteristic of the kingdom is this. The king finds in favor of the poor and the needy. Favor is shown to the poor and the needy. Look at verse 4. It says, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Now, a few weeks ago, CNN released uh, their uh, study or their findings uh, that the ultra-wealthy in our country, in the United States, their wealth grew by $2 trillion with a T last year. $2 trillion. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm all for people working hard and investing wisely and, and making money. And, and I always say, I think you should make as much money as you possibly can. You should go out there and make absolutely as much money as you can. And then give it away. Give it away and further the kingdom to help others and to do those things. And and here's, here's the reality. I know that's much easier said than done. But I think that as believers, it's what we have been called to do. And this is a battle that I fight within myself, especially this time of year. Do I ask for the Gore-Tex, North Face, Thinsulate, waterproof, double-stitched, puffered, coat vest thing at the high-end retail sports shop that I really want? Or do I ask for the similar looking, but not nearly as cool, or should I say warm, uh, coat that's on sale at, you know, one of the other stores? What do I do? How how do I battle that within me? Do I spend the extra $10 to $15 or or ask Michelle, and as a family, we decide to spend the extra $10 to $15 at the grocery store to buy food for the East Trenton Center? Or do I just simply, you know, stop by the coffee shop on my way home and, and, you know, grab a mocha and some espresso, you know, chocolate-covered espresso beans? Is that... Is that better? Do I have in my mind and have thoughts about the poor and the needy around me? Last Sunday, uh, several of us had the opportunity to go down to the East Trenton Center and pass out the Thanksgiving baskets to people. The, the food that you brought helped uh, give those baskets to people, and they passed out over 400 Thanksgiving baskets um, in two days' time. It was just uh, an amazing time to be there and, and to see that happening uh, for the people. Um, and as one woman uh, came through and, and she got her basket, every, everyone was very thankful, but she expressed how extremely grateful she was for that uh, ba- food basket because she had 20 additional people coming to her house for Thanksgiving meal. And they were people that had nowhere else to go and couldn't provide for themselves for Thanksgiving. Now, can you picture that for just a moment? Here is a woman who needed assistance herself, and she's offering assistance to other people. And I'm wondering, do I want a Frappuccino or an Americano when I go? My guess is you can relate to that. In fact, I know that you can relate to that. And I say these things not to make you feel guilty or to make myself feel guilty. It's just to point out the fact that the people that have the power and the money, they are the ones that make the decisions. Think about how many decisions are made in our world that favor the rich and favor the powerful. 
They're the ones that hire the lobbyists to work for their case, to, to have groups and dinners and focus groups and policymakers, and they wine and dine to make sure that their interests are protected and pushed forward. It's just the way it works in our, in our society, isn't it? And yet we have a king who, as the text says, with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And here's the challenge for us. What if each one of us viewed life that way as well? With justice, we give decisions for the poor of the earth. It it may or may not change your political view, but I think it would definitely change your personal view and some of the decisions that you make. Because I think that often, and I think we do this uh, oftentimes without realizing it, it's just something that we do. We do something nice for someone else, and we feel pretty good about it, and that's a good thing. But often, the people we're doing something nice for are oftentimes the people that we think, at least in the back of our mind, have an opportunity to do something nice for us down the road at some point in the future, right? I'm going to do this for you in hopes that if I ever have a need, you're going to be there for me. But what if we started making decisions and choices in favor of those who had no opportunity and didn't have the ability to help us in return? I think it's one of the marks of the kingdom Isaiah is talking about. It's one of the marks of Jesus' kingdom that he ushered in. What if we did? What if every family here started this week, when you go do your grocery shopping, you know what? We're going to spend an extra 10 to $15 on non-perishable food items. And we're going to bring that to the church so that then we can then take that to the East Trenton Center and continue to supply the food pantry and, and give it to people who are hungry in that area of Trenton. What, what, if, what if we purchased what we need instead of all the things that we want and we use the difference in favor of the needy and the poor? What would it look like if you made that decision? What would it look like if we made that decision as a community of believers to make what we have, to make a difference How would it change our community? How would it change the relationships we have in the community and with each other and with those that are different from us? How would it change the kingdom of God if we were to do those things? Isaiah is saying, a day is coming when there will be a new king and a new kingdom. A king that decides in favor of the poor and the needy. And we saw that come in with Jesus Christ. And it's part of the kingdom that we are called to be a part of. There's a third characteristic uh, of this kingdom that Isaiah points out. It says that the the king exercises authority with his words. Uh, He doesn't use weapons. Uh, This is vivid imagery if, if if you look at this. The text says, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Now, if you know anything about the arms race that we've had or that we're having or that I don't even know where it stands, but we know that there are enough weapons to destroy the earth three or four times over, right? I mean, we could just blow it up and then blow it up again and blow it. I mean, just, we, we just have that kind of, of, of weaponry. The countries that are in authority, those with power and influence, they demonstrate their power and their authority. How? With weapons, right? That's what we do. A show of force, we use weapons. It's just the way it works. But Jesus, he exercises authority with his words. His words are powerful. His words carry with them the ability to create as it did in the beginning. His words carry with it the power to destroy. Jesus has the authority to use his words in this way. And even though we don't have the authority to use our words in that way, we often use our words in that way, don't we? You know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt them. 
just not true, is it? It's just simply not true. Words can injure. Words can do harm and serious damage. And maybe one of the challenges for you as you consider what the characteristics of this kingdom and how they apply to your life is for you to really consider how you use your words. Do your words give life and build up? Or do they do damage and tear down and lead to death? How do you use your words? There's a fourth characteristic that Isaiah tells us. He tells us that the king is dressed for success. You've probably heard the quote uh, before that says, The clothes make the man, right? With that in mind, look at what Jesus is wearing. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now, we talked about judging people by appearances, but think for a moment, if you would, about how much time each one of us spend as we prepare ourselves for the day, as we decide what we're going to wear and how we're going to look. And I know what you're thinking. It must take a lot of time to look this good, right? Here's the interesting thing. I ran my own little experiment this morning. I don't often wear a suit. In fact, I never wear a suit. You guys know that, right? But I did today just to see how many comments I would receive. Because when you wear a suit, when people aren't used to you wearing a suit, everybody's like, oh. It was funny to me. And this is not a judgment. This is just an observation. The number of people who are like, oh, what's special today? Right? Someone said, I'm afraid you're either going to get me married or get me buried. Right? (laughs) What is it? What is it with this? Right? Dressed for success. Think about the time you spend. Think about the the time you spend going through your closet, picking out what you're going to wear. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's okay and it's proper to take care of yourself and and to try to to, to look good and to dress appropriately for the situation and and the occasion in life. But I believe that our desire should be not to make a lasting impression based on our suit and our tie and our dress and our look, but, but based on the appearance and the reality of our character, right? Shouldn't that be what we strive to do? And yet the reality of the situation is this. I doubt any of us, and myself included, because I, you know, prepared to wear this uh, anyway. But, but the idea is this. What if we got up each day and thought, you know what? Today I'm going to dress myself with righteousness. I'm going to dress myself and live my life today in such a way that I'm in right standing with God. I'm going to make sure I put on my peace and my patience. I'm going to button up my kindness and goodness. I'm going to iron my gentleness so it looks good. I'm going to put on a splash of faithfulness and rub on some self-control. That's what I'm going to wear today. What if that was our focus as we prepared for each day? I doubt that's what anyone did, right? But what if we did? What if every day as we got ready for the day, if we thought about that, about how we would dress our character. This is how the king dresses himself with righteousness, with faithfulness. And we should as well. The last characteristic of the kingdom I want to mention this morning, the king rules with peace, not violence. The text says, the wolf will, lie, will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. Isaiah here is describing peace, 
He's describing shalom. That which was lost will be found again. And if you've watched any news, if you've gone outside your door, if you've done anything, you know that what our world needs is peace. There's so much of a lack of peace in our society and in our culture. And the way things are handled and the way people react and all the situations surrounding everything, it's just, it's broken. There's a lack of peace. And we are called to peace, not violence. We see this in the beginning of the kingdom that Jesus, when he came through his birth and through his life and through his death and his burial and his resurrection, Jesus was about peace. And we know that he brought peace, but this kingdom is a kingdom that that truly won't experience that ultimate peace until the day he returns. We've talked about in in our last series uh, a lot about how we live in that already but not yet part of the kingdom. We are a part of that kingdom, and yet all of it has yet to be revealed because it's not here yet. It is still yet to come. And as we live in that time between Jesus giving us peace and that peace being completely realized, the challenge for us is to allow Jesus to rule in our life, to allow the characteristics of the king, the characteristics of his kingdom, to be the characteristics of our life. And to do that, It means we have to probably change some things in our life. It means a new way of life. It means we no longer judge people by appearances, whether they have on a suit or an Eagles, you know, jersey, right? Easy, right? We treat them the same way. We don't judge by appearance. We don't look at the person and say, I already know who you are and what you're about. And assign them that place. We view them the way God views them, with value and importance. We give them their special place because God made them special. We decide in favor of the poor and the needy. We sacrifice what we have, the excess especially of what we have, so that others can come to know Christ and and can know Him and His life abundantly. We allow our words to be used As our authority, we speak truth, we speak peace, we speak love, we we clothe ourselves with virtue, with righteousness, with humbleness, with gentleness, we practice peace. Our lives are an example of the peace that God has given us through His Son Jesus, and we extend that to other people as well. You see, the only reason we can have the hope of taking on these characteristics of the kingdom is because of Jesus. Jesus came to earth and He took our sins so that we could be made righteous, and that allows us to live in the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, to work through us, to convict us so that our lives can be changed and we can take on the characteristics of His kingdom. And part of this Advent season, we prepare our lives, we prepare our hearts, we prepare our minds, not only for His birth that we will celebrate, but we prepare for His return. And so how will you respond to the characteristics of the kingdom today? He's calling us to become more like him and to take on these characteristics, to respond to him in such a way that says, I want him to be not only my savior, but to be my Lord in every aspect of my life. We want to invite you to respond. And maybe today your response is simply to acknowledge that you need to put on those characteristics and you need to begin walking in what God has convicted you of already and living out that which you believe. Maybe today you need prayer because you're struggling with with one of these characteristics and, and your words are being used to tear down and not build up and you want someone to pray with you and hold you accountable to help you 
live your life in such a way that, that you can be an instrument of peace and not destruction. Maybe you've yet to accept Christ, and as you think about Christmas and what it means, you have questions and you want to talk to someone. We would love to have the opportunity to talk with you and to pray with you and just to spend time with you and to walk down this path with you together. We're going to invite you to respond this morning. There'll be people over by uh, this side of the auditorium, over by the cross. And if you want to talk to someone, we invite you to make your way there. Stand with me. Ian and the band are going to lead us in this song. It's an opportunity for you to respond. And we invite you to do so at this time.